You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Monster House presents... Monster Talk can be supported by listeners like you at patreon.com forward slash monster talk or by leaving positive reviews on iTunes and other podcasting sites. Learn more at monstertalk.org forward slash support. Thanks to all of you who are supporting us in this way. We are humbled and grateful and hope that we always live up to or exceed your expectations. It's the kind of house they don't build anymore. A relic of a time when the world wasn't in such a hurry, when there was still time for a little charm and elegance. It has stood empty for a long while, and at the price, it is a bargain. For a growing young family, it is almost too good to be true. What do you think? I love it. James Brolin, Margot Kidder, Rod Steiger, in the Amityville Horror. God's peace in this house. Get out. It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland. It's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stoltzner. This week, I'm pulling another episode from our YouTube series, Debased on a True Story. We're going to be looking at the Amityville Horror, the book, the movie, and the many sequels. We'll be looking at allegations of hoaxes and frauds around the alleged paranormal experiences of the Lutz family, as well as the real true crime case of the DeFeo family murders. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Karen and I will be back with some traditional format episodes very soon. We've got some fun ones lined up and some that are already in the can just need to be edited and put out. So stay tuned. Monster Talk. Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith, and today we have my regular co-host, Karen Stolzno. 
Hi, guys. And, Good to be here again. And all of you YouTubers will be familiar with Matthew Baxter. How Matt's been doing our uh, <laughs> Ask a Paranormal Investigator series yep. and lots of other fun content. Yeah, and today, uh, based on a true story. Exactly. Too. And so th this is part of our series story where we're taking a look at the true stories behind based on a true story movies and horror properties. And today we're going to dive into one of the most successful horror franchises ever, <laughs> the Amityville Horror. I've had a lot of requests for this one. Yeah, it's a favorite. And I do have to admit that I, I prepared a little bit for this uh, with the sense that I, I darkened my beard a little bit. Nice. Um, yeah, just because, you know, I wanted to be able to say, do something like this and go, so why is it always like damn cold in this house? <laughs> <laughs> Your kids need some yeah. discipline. No, Your hair like that, is too so. good. <laughs> Yeah, if my hair could be a little more screwed up, I suppose. But uh, yeah, I think now that would be the right hair. I mean, obviously, you know, the seventies were a different time. So that's true. That's yeah. true. Yeah, yeah. If they remade it to be in this day and age. Yeah. Now they did do was it two thousand five? You know, yes. let's not go to that. We'll go down there later. Let's yeah. let's, let's stay focused. We'll stay focused. All right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess we should uh, give a little overview of the 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 plot. And I mean, there's so many things to talk about with this movie. Right. So this this and whole the, thing is the called the, it's called the Amityville Horror, and it's it's about Amityville, uh, Long Island, and it's this it's a it's a beach community, and there is a, a big emphasis financially about the the water and the beaches, but then there's a shark that comes up and starts to attack the people. It that's not quite right, is yeah, it? That's did you, did you <laughs> notice though? Did you notice that 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 sort of head priest was the the mayor of Amity? <laughs> Did you notice that? It's safe to go back in the house. There's nothing to worry about here, people. <laughs> Amity, as you know, means friendship. So good. So, so yeah, it was the same guy. It was the, yeah. the head right. priest was That's a good crossover. the mayor. Yeah. So this, this is actually based on the allegedly true events that took place in Amityville, New York, which is a real mm -hmm. place. Amity in the movie Jaws that I was joking about is a made-up place based on Amityville. So that's it's influenced that's a lot of other stories, that's yeah. for sure. It has. And so what happens is in 1974, I believe. Yeah, that's right. In uh, November of 1974, there's a family living at this house called the DeFeos, and one of their children, Ronald DeFeo Jr., kills all the other members of his family. And his uh, mother and father and four siblings. Right. And he goes to the house shooting everybody, which is pretty horrific. Uh, and this is a very serious, real crime. And then a, a little more than a year later, uh, the Lutz family uh, is able to purchase the home at a discount because of its murder history. And they move into the house. And then things happen. And then 28 days later, they flee. And so actually in the movie, it's uh, 18, 18 days. days. That, well, that's a compressed timeline because yeah, we don't have yeah. time for 28 days later. That would exactly. be stupid. Who could wait 28 days later? That would be dumb. No, that would I never know. work in a movie. Yeah, so. there would never be a movie. No, about 28 no. days so. later. That's <laughs> so there are, it's really interesting because to prepare for this, I reread the novel and did a bunch of research on sort of the fact side of it. I didn't have time to rewatch the movie, although I've seen and it. And we rewatched yeah. the movie and didn't so reread. I think we're going to have it covered. This is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. And I Between also rewatched the 2005 version. Did you well, really? Ugh, I you're, hate you're it. welcome. Yeah, yeah. So, 
Uh, now, it would be better if they put in Deadpool, actually, just sort of stick him in. Okay. That would be great. Or at yeah. least had him time travel in there and shoot Ryan Reynolds. Exactly. That, that would be great. That would be great. So, yeah, right. So the book was, uh, there, sorry, after the, we'll get into deeper, but that's the story we're talking about. And I guess uh, if you want to, we can sort of just keep going through the reality of the timeline. Well, yeah, out. it's, well, it's crazy that's... how, you know, you've got James Brolin, you know, playing uh, George Lutz. And then, you know, he's really set to go through and murder a whole bunch of people and then he has a son that becomes thanos and actually does murder half the universe that's so a really so, good point that's a yeah. really good point it's so like it's, a, it's a snap yeah, yeah. and exactly. thanos is in the marvel universe where also ryan reynolds is this is all connected so in in regards to the movie uh, so as you said, the, the Lutz family. So you've got uh, George and Kathy, his wife, and I think they'd just been married one year previously. Right. And she had three children from uh, a previous marriage. Exactly. And uh, so I guess what we should do is talk a little bit about the the, the plot and the, well, you've given the basic plot, but uh, talk about some of the, the phenomena that uh, they experience, which is why they ultimately leave the house. Yeah, let's do that. Well, one of the first things that happens is uh, the the father, Father Delaney, uh, who was Father Mancuso, I believe, in the book. Right. Um, and then a different name again in, in a different reality. Name in reality. Ralph, yeah. uh, Father Picararo. Ralph J. Picararo. Yeah. 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 So, and there's, you know, of course, George Lutz says he's still Father Mancuso to me. So, <laughs> sure, whatever. <laughs> that's that's. So, great. yeah, they're, they're settling into the house, and uh, and that's when he... He shows up to bless the house. and So he doesn't even see them. They, they don't see each other. And- right. right. Come, it's just like one of those services where you just, you know, have a priest come by, swing by, go through your house, bless it. So, yep, yep. But keep in mind, this is a Catholic blessing. It's, they're not starting out with an exorcism or anything crazy like that. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. But weird but things happen. They yeah. do. He goes from room to room and, and uh, he's starting his his blessing and everything. And he's got some weird feelings and he goes into the, the sewing room upstairs. And as he walks in and starts it, the door slams. And then pretty soon he he's reading the blessing. And he sees a couple of flies in the window. A few moments later, there's a ton of flies in the window. Then he's and he's sweating and he's sweating. And, and it's uh, supposedly the smell of excrement really, you know, which does attract flies. It does. Um, and, uh, Pretty soon, the music of, of uh, you know, the, the, the high-pitched uh, music and everything and the buzzing of the, the flies gets really, really loud. Everything goes silent. The door opens and a voice says, <laughs> boom. And it reminds me of uh, Eddie Murphy doing that. Yes, bit. that is a great bit. Yes. Yeah. I would have been in the house and said, oh, baby, this is beautiful. We got a chandelier hanging up here, kids outside playing. It's a beautiful neighborhood. We ain't got nothing to wear. I really love them. This is really nice. <laughs> Too bad we can't stay, baby. Yeah, um, and it's like the end of the movie. Our son was watching it at the time with us too, and he did not like the flies. And I think at one point you touched him on the shoulder and he thought it was one of the flies. <laughs> so he, he was getting yeah. freaked out by it. But We uh, try not to make it a habit to let our five-year-old watch movies like this with <laughs> us, but sometimes it is unavoidable. This is a compressed timeline in the movie. You just kind of squish it onto this one impressive mm-hmm. scene. And in the book, he hears the voice, but the flies come later. And so there are a lot of the, they kind of uh, have a lot of phenomena converging around the sewing room in the novel. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And I'm going to keep calling it a novel. It's, it, you know, I don't really know what else to call mm-hmm. it. It's, it's, it's certainly I not a. That's, uh, 
Fair yeah. enough. Yeah. I think, I think I everything think... suggests that's what it is. So yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. Well, the the we'll nonfiction document. But you know, even on the cover, I don't know if you can see that back there, but the there's no way you no. can see that. Hold no, on a second. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, hmm. uh, can you see that? There we go. So oh, this so is that's actual... a different cover to another one that I've seen. Yeah, I think it had yeah. different covers in it's various covers. Yeah, yeah. There, I, there's a lot of different. It, it was a very successful uh, book, so it was reissued a lot of times. But there's flies all over the book, so mm -hmm. that yeah, a yeah, big yeah, theme, yeah. a big yeah. theme. But things really ramp up from that point. To do. Oh my gosh! Yeah, um, there were 17 printings of the first edition, and then oh, the, there was a oh. movie edition went through eight printings. This is a very successful book. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But well, uh, in in the movie, things really ramp up from that point anyway. So once the the priest leaves or is, is booted out, things really start happening to the family. I think it's interesting because to, at first they're just kind of hanging around, drinking beer, having a cigarette, mm -hmm. playing outside, and then suddenly uh, things start happening. I think it's that very night that uh, the Kathy's washing dishes and George comes into the the kitchen and. He's just looking freaked out. His hair is all over the place and his yeah. eyes are wild and he's already starting to, <laughs> to sense something in the house and it all kind of goes downhill from that point. Well, yeah. and, and this is something that they they alluded to very lightly in the movie, but I think they expressed it more in the uh, the novel and you can confirm this, Blake, about the spirit that was sort of pleasant that Kathy would experience. In the movie, they just had a little like a breeze hit her and, and she seemed well, like so, something. Well, she perfume. Right. That's, yeah. and it, I read the book and watched the movie uh, a year and a half ago. That just, and so this is all very reminiscent, but she's in the kitchen and basically there's, she smells perfume mm -hmm. and she feels something give her a hug or like a reassuring pat and it freaks her out. She's terrified. And then she's trying to like recover. And then it's almost like a jump scare in the book because then her daughter comes in and like touches her to say, everything's okay. And mm -hmm. then she freaks out again because it, she, you know, she thought it was all related in some way. It's, it's really, I mean, I have to say, you know, in my own life right now with my, I'm having some financial challenges, uh, like many people are right now under COVID. And uh, the most scary thing in the book for me is all the money related stuff. Like they bought a house oh. that they can't afford. It's like, oh, you know, and then like, money goes missing in the money house. Money goes missing. Yeah. It's like so many things go wrong. And, uh, you mm -hmm. know, he's the checking balance is too low, but he's got bills to pay. It's like, oh, stop. Yeah, I don't yeah, need a yeah. ghost. This is scary enough just with the mail coming in. Right? Which is a great time uh, to mention how much we appreciate our patrons. Um, yes, we do. Thank you. <laughs> and, uh, and, and yes, and we'll, we'll make sure you have a link to uh, come in and uh, support us on Patreon if you would so like. Smallest amount uh, by uh, times a, a bunch of people makes a difference and yeah, uh, it'll, it'll help it. all of us get through this 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 time so definitely <laughs> appreciate it anyways so, yeah and it, it was an interesting thing how that does build in that turn and then you know of course uh, father delaney is still continuing to have problems uh and you know he starts developing these burns yes. on his hands and uh, but all throughout he's trying to to contact the family and to warn them that he sensed something and and of his experience and he tries to phone them and that they they're just getting static and can't hear him and so that theme is running throughout the entire movie that he's trying to contact them more they're trying to contact him and uh that something's always preventing at, them from at, at what time in history at what time in history did hitting the the thing on the phone to hang it up multiple times improve the connection 
movies. He was on the, uh, the, Am- <laughs> the Not this Andy, Andy Griffith show. It was like, Sarah, get me Mount Pilot. Right, yeah, right. So. Now, now, maybe that would, you know, be to connect to that, the actual operator at yeah. that time. But in the 70s, tick, 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 tick is going to hang you. It's, it's just going to hang weird. up the phone. Yeah. I, and yeah. I don't understand yeah. why he didn't just text them. That's really not made clear in the book. It was email. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Shouldn't be a problem. But no, the, yeah, you're right. The, that whole theme of he knows something's wrong and he's trying to get them help. And just thing after thing keeps blocking him and his health blocks him. He's got all these different yeah. issues going on. And it's a, it's a significant thing in the novel. It's a significant thing in the movie. Um, and, mm-hmm. and literally none of that would happen today. I mean, it's like yeah. just, you know. Right, yeah. right. And, yeah. uh, I mean, the, the, you the have... spirits were really taking advantage of the fact that technology was so bad. Exactly. Because now... Just text you before you close on the house. Stay out. Oh, okay. uh, no, I'm laughing right now because it's so much more vicious now. Haunting. Blake, yeah. Blake, I'm laughing because right as you started talking, because we were talking about bad technology and that wouldn't happen today, you froze. You were like, now. <laughs> and it was perfect timing. <laughs> but we, we should say, too, that uh, in the movie that they're taken through the house. And uh, I think it's it's only afterwards that they're told about the what had occurred in the house. So it was right. after they'd fallen in love with the house that then they, right. they were told about it. And I think they just kind of blew it off and didn't uh, didn't think anything of it, which is, I think, mirrored in the book, isn't it, too? Yes. Uh, in yes. the book, in the book, they're pretty quickly aware. Like, they know before they close. And right. they're like, yeah, we can live with that. You know, I mean, you're talking about getting a house for more than half off. Uh, so, yeah. yeah they, and they, you know, in the movie, they said, yeah, well, you know, uh, <laughs> a house doesn't have memories. That's right. So, so. Yeah. All right. Fine. Um, it's a nice house. I mean, like, so it's a, a, a I guess it's a, a, a colonial right, house yeah. and it's got those really iconic windows and it, yeah. it's, uh, and they keep, I mean, throughout the movie, they keep cutting to the, the front of the, of the house and, uh, it's very pareidolia like it's, mm-hmm. you can see a face that looks like a eyes and a nose and yeah. certainly the coloring yep. of the house too. It's, uh, they're, they're playing on the pareidolia. Yeah. He's got a Part of the reason they were able to afford the house, uh, in theory, was that he had a boat house that he had to he had to rent a boat house for his boat or boat mooring place, and so he was able to uh, stop having to pay that monthly fee. So having a house on the water was going to make it a little cheaper. Plus, the house had a uh, uh, in addition to the basement and everything else, it had a heated pool, which I imagine would have been great. But of yeah, they, had all the mod cons for a house from that time. Yeah, it was it, the, pretty they, fancy. Yeah, the uh, DeFeos um, had actually improved it quite a bit. So yeah, uh, he owned a, a car dealership. Yeah, and uh, was doing pretty well. Seems like yeah, that was a bit of a cover, but we can talk yeah. about R- Ronnie, that Ronnie, Ronnie. as well. Yeah, but I think yeah, we should uh, kind of talk about the phenomena which starts well, occurring the, in the sure. house. And we had the, we had the, just the well, we had the nun show up. And, right. and I think that uh, was Kathy's. It's was Kathy's, Kathy's her, her sister. Aunt. Right, right. And, and sorry, aunt. Right. Here's Kathy's yeah. aunt. Uh, and sister. Who, she wanted <laughs> none of it. <laughs> so she had. Uh, she had actually retired from being a nun or quit being a nun and had gone on and had like three kids. George says in the book, I never got around to asking her why she quit being a nun. So like that's not, <laughs> you know, that it's just like well, surely someone had time to find out. Anyway, they just, it's a strange <laughs> line. So. But yeah. yeah, so she's a but former she, nun. Yeah. She visits during in the, the movie anyway. And yeah. uh, I think she's brought some flowers or something and she can't even bear to to stay. She I think gives Kathy a hug and, and then feels like she's about to start vomiting uh-huh. and 
but she's sweating as well. So similar to what the priest was experiencing. And then she just bolts out of the house and gets far gets enough in away. Her car, yeah, leaves and has to pull over and vomits. It is the best the the retching road. scene I've ever seen in a movie. It is it's the best well retching done. scene. The volume with which uh, she, uh, I, see, w- when I vomit, I, I can't vocalize at the same time. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, you know, it's just like, yeah. but, uh, and then that, you're welcome. Um, and the thing is, is for her, she was able to basically scream her vomit. Uh, and it was just, we didn't see any vomit, but we heard the scream. Yeah. <laughs> And it was just fabulous. Seems to be a point in the movie too that it's trying to keep other people away, especially clergy, but trying to keep the family in the house. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean that comes into play when the the little girl starts uh, experiencing things and starts has this imaginary friend and um, she does. Friend starts talking to her and. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and that's the confusing thing because the friend is. Jody, the pig, but then at other times she's portrayed as a little girl, maybe another little girl that had died in the house and had befriended this girl and and starts saying to her things like, uh, "You'll always live in this house. You'll always be here." And um, oh, yeah. and she seems Jody seems to really take a, a liking to the little girl, but I think likes the mother as well, but hates the stepfather and and hates the rest of the family and is uh, and and hates, and hates the... the babysitter as well. Mm-hmm babysitter had it coming yeah so i don't know if that's in the book or not the the babysitter saying how she's locked in the room and uh, locked in the closet yeah yeah locked in the closet dang it i don't remember everything's kind of blurring together now so so. there's so much with this case yeah everything does blur i Uh, i I was gonna say that i'm seeing a lot of so when we think about the impact of, of horror on the paranormal and i i do mean it in that direction i think the the uh movies horror movies in particular have an impact on how people think about the paranormal how people experience the paranormal sure. uh, we we've talked a lot about how that the exorcist and uh, rosemary's baby really kicked off a big resurgence in sort of uh diabolical uh themed horror right. and this movie did too but uh, compared to the exorcist uh, I think it feels like Catholicism comes across as being kind of underpowered here. You know, like th- their solution is to flee. They don't like they don't having the priest start off with a blessing literally does nothing but make things worse. Like, and I think like in the Exorcist too, the uh, the the Catholic Church is coming across as skeptical because yeah. in the Exorcist they're they're skeptical before they they perform an exorcism. And uh, in, in the church is a whole, you know, right? Yeah, like yeah, yeah, the, yeah. there's and the hierarchy, that, right? So this this priest is experiencing all of these things. I mean, he eventually goes blind. He's just tormented by whatever it is in this house. And uh, when he tries to to talk to some senior members of the clergy about this, they just poo poo the whole idea and yeah, and just tell him that he needs to go on holiday. And there's a lot of poo poo in this movie, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of a lot of blood coming out of the walls. Yeah, I was going to say, like the next thing in the book, the next thing that happens after the nun visit is a. Uh, is that's when they start having the uh, the black the toilet the, yeah, the black goo yeah so. it looks like yeah Texas tea or oil to me <laughs> it does look like oil yeah they they just call it a, you can't really tell in the movie but it's like especially like horribly foul smelling and then they they open up the windows and they try to clean it out and then you know the parents oh man I, I in the novel like there's a whole bunch of the parents get mad and beat the kids like, like it's like it's like wow. 
This would not play well, well today, right? And there's shades <laughs> of that too in the yeah. movie as well, where he, uh, I think uh, George got angry a number of times and uh, Kathy just said something completely innocuous and he just slapped her. And, yeah, yeah. And I and I think that that um, it apparently happened to the DeFeos too. It was said that a number of times the, the father just felt angry for no reason and just slapped the wife around. So it seems like... Uh, there's this running theme throughout reality and throughout the the movie that whatever was in the house was making people violent and angry. Yeah, that is a running theme in there. Yeah, I guess, and we we talked a little bit about money problems. In addition to George's money problems, Kathy's brother is getting married, and uh, he's got to pay the caterer the caterer, caterer yeah. fifteen hundred bucks, and the he's got the money in his in, a, in an envelope in his coat. And they're talking, and counting talking. it repeatedly. Yeah. yeah. And then they go to like actually pay it. And then the money's just gone. The envelope's gone. And uh, it's, a, it's very frightening uh, to me to think about well, because this is $1,500. But I was looking at it like now that would be like losing 7000 or more than 7000 bucks today. Yeah. It's, it's a yeah. substantial thing. But it really seems like whatever is in the house. I mean, sometimes it seems like it's more poltergeist activity. Uh, and other times it seems like it's a, a real presence in the house yeah. that can do things like steal money. And, and uh, you know, sometimes it's uh, what a pair of demonic eyes. And so there's just a kind of lot of crossover with with the different manifestations of whatever this thing is. Yeah. And when you talk about the stages of possession, for example, uh, which is what Ronnie DeFeo Jr. was claiming is that there was, you know, pretty much a possession going on by the, by the end of it. You can see it kind of, you know, in the house, it, one of the stages is oppression. And there's definitely oppression going on as it's leading to George's sort of possession. And, uh, yeah, you can just see it more and more as he descends into madness. Uh, well, yeah, big thing we should talk about is him waking up every morning at 3.15 a.m. Yeah. And he's lying in bed and invariably his wife is asleep and he's just bing. And um, usually getting up for, for one reason or another. but. Uh, I, I think it's interesting in that uh, early on, he wakes up at 3.15 and goes downstairs and hears some kind of awful noise outside and it turns out to be a cat with flashing eyes. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think it's interesting that later on we see eyes that are very similar to that, but it turns out to be the pig or Jody, the little Jody, girl. the flying pig, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> I, I think... The, the way they show it in the movie is interesting. So like Jody, the child, the daughter, uh, Missy, is talks about having this friend, Jody, that nobody else could see. And mm-hmm. Jody seems very benign, at least at the beginning. right? At the start. Yeah, it just yeah, seems like an imaginary yeah. friend. Exactly. And it turns out that like something like 20% of kids under five have an imaginary friend. So uh, it's not that weird. But then in the movie... There's a point where I think it's Kathy goes to the window and then all of a sudden she see and the, the music's great for that. And then she sees these two red lights outside and that's supposed to be indicative of, uh, of Jody the pig, mm-hmm. but they're upstairs. So it's not just that there's a pig outside the window. It's that there's a flying red eyed pig. And that's well, think, really I one of the, the scariest pig, kinds of pigs. Yes. I think the pig was in the room. Pegasus. And when yeah. the mother came in unexpectedly, the little girl said, Oh, you scared Jody. And, She's so Jody's floating outside waiting. Yeah. But in the book, it's George is outside and he looks up in the window 
and sees the pig inside the daughter's room looking out the window. And that happened and in the, the movie, movie too. too. Uh, yes. And it's yes. one of the more stunning uh, special effects moments of the movie. <laughs> Basically, they show a short video clip of a small pig yeah. blown up to the size of the entire window. Yeah, with it's bad really a bad effect. Yeah. Looking or, or uncanny. It depends on how you look at it. I mean, like, you know, when I was yeah, a kid, it was horrifying. As an adult, I'm like, did you guys even try? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's why I said stunning. I know as a person uh who uh grew up in the south and my grandfather raised hogs and uh they can be quite terrifying. Uh I mean like in cinema hog-headed people or pigs dressed as people always freaked me out. Even in Time Bandits when the when the supreme being turned some of the people into pigs, very disturbing. Uh well, we were hearing about uh what our nuclear hogs recently weren't we and um, yeah was it in japan where they'd had nuclear attacks and and how they were drinking the water and affected by that yeah so, really nuclear, nuclear hogs yeah. yeah i mean you could get the bacon to glow and stuff yeah nice. pretty, pretty <laughs> awesome yeah. but we've got a lot to talk about when it comes to the 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 folklore and also the the true story well, behind all this about, as well talking about pigs and pigs blood which is yeah. obviously what you're going to end up with if you're trying to get bacon uh we got to talk about the red room yes the red room mm-hmm. yeah but in, in and the movie so, that's like the a big plot point there's a secret red room yeah, yeah but it's like alerted to it i think with the dog constantly scratching at the uh yeah, the wall and trying to get in and, yeah. into something which is interesting because from all the interviews i've seen with george lutz he's said that the dog was very scared of that room and didn't want to go anywhere near it so it was in contrast to the movie the dog it's was a, just trying to get I, in there in the in the movie uh he ends up if i remember correctly he falls through the stairs mm-hmm. down into the red room through the floor into a pit of black goo is that right which was the portal to hell yeah, that yeah. Father uh, Delaney was trying to channel through the psychic uh, or the good friend, uh, good friend's mm-hmm. wife. Well, that's sensitive. the thing, yeah. She, yeah, it's the, uh, I think, the employee of uh, George's friend and, and colleague. Business, and, business partner, yeah. Yeah, that's and he right. brings over his girlfriend or wife. And yeah, she's I think, yeah, girlfriend. Sensitive. Yeah. 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 And uh, yes, so initially, initially, she won't even go into the house, but then the next time, uh, she, she has, has this strange in. attraction and uh, she was doing some research into the, the premises as well and uh so yeah i thought that bit was really cheesy though there's a lot of drama built up around this room and the dog trying to get in and and uh she's i think she starts hacking at the the wall doesn't she yeah she takes a pickaxe and starts going at it and and everybody like, seems to you, be fairly what the cool hell are you with doing this. to our house and yeah <laughs> well yeah yeah it's uh it's very strange but uh yeah, and, and the great thing about it is there was no overacting in any of these no, scenes. No, no, no. Uh, oh, especially so when she's possessed and, and starts screaming. So they all look into this room when they've they've uh, hacked into it and uh, mm-hmm. George sees, sees his, Ronnie, Ronnie's Ronnie face in, in his own DeFeo, face. Too. Yeah, or it looks just like him. Yeah, and, which uh, is another so, moment of not overacting. Yeah, and you also good. have that as a theme throughout the movie as well where they go to the uh, the pub and the the guy working behind the the bar recognizes him thinks that he's Ronnie DeFeo and the detective uh, who was in no yes. way a ripoff of Kinderman from no, not at the all. Oh, from the exorcist yeah. uh, no way was he a ripoff uh he also was noticing how similar they looked and were they related and 
Yeah. Well, I definitely a running theme, and which is interesting because in real life, they do look similar if you consider only looking at someone with a beard. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, because like what, the, the fact that one has blonde hair and one has black hair, you know, that's skinny yeah. and one's a little heavier and a little and, thicker and, face. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, it know. says the man who really has no well room to speak. Right? So, yeah. I know. I'm working on it. Yeah, nothing. Um, nothing alike. But, but so, yeah, uh, yeah, so it's kind of funny. It's interesting when they they're all looking into this red room and and all seeing some kind of undescribed horror, really. Yeah. And that they don't really go into what it is, aside from George seeing himself or seeing Ronnie. Uh, and then this this demon that takes over the psychic and she starts screaming. But yeah, I mean, then, then nothing else is really made of it. I thought that that was just a very weak point in the movie. There's so much build up to this room. And then all you see is really this this red room and, and nothing else is said about it. And so where's that yeah. implication then that that was the pig's blood? Where does that well, it's in the book. come in? Uh, they, in the did, book. they did satanic rituals in that room. Um, and I think it goes back. To, I mean, so that's a weird thing. You know, when they talk about um, Jeremiah Ketchum in the movie, or actually uh, in the book, I think it was Jeremiah Ketchum. And his real name is John Ketchum. Uh, he's actually, he's an amalgam of a bunch of different people, really. But it, it's claimed that he came from um, Salem, Massachusetts to escape the witch trials. And he was this uh, uh, evil guy who was torturing people. And then he did a lot of these sacrifices and stuff in this room. But I don't know that the timeline matches up. I mean, there's a lot of problems we can talk about later about yeah. that. But uh, but that's that's kind of the the implication is, you know, it's painted in pig's blood in there. And But that name, I mean, it has a lot to do with monsters in general. Because mm-hmm. yeah, you, you look, yeah, you got to catch them all. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Pokemon's yeah. very serious stuff. So. So yeah. So in the movie, all of this uh, phenomena basically leaves leads the the family to to leave. Uh, so as it builds flee, up, flee. And, they do get the but, dog. That's important. Yes. So. <laughs> yeah. They have that massive storm at the end, and uh, the, which was another just... scene that did not have too much overacting. No, not at all. Sorry. I okay. I want to say this. The the. As a child, this movie terrified me, and and I, I if you were I, five years old, yeah. Well, yeah. I, what was I? I was probably <laughs> like I was probably I was probably eleven. So yeah, something like when I saw it. So uh, you know, I saw the TV version. I think I was. I think I was in my twenties when I first saw it, so, and and I already thought it was cheesy. But I, I've been saying it, that think, every movie we've watched. <laughs> <laughs> we talk about you know uh, this whole thing about based on a true story and the impact that mm-hmm. that has on these films. And I think for this movie in particular, the only reason it's scary is because this is based on true true events. But I'm, I, I mean, if this was just a movie, like it was, it would, it is. But, it, but let's just say they didn't have that factor. Like we didn't know there really was a family that really fled their house. Yeah. This movie almost makes no sense. I mean, it's just, it's, it, it's like outside of the context that is supposed to be based on a true story. I don't mm-hmm. find it very scary at all. Like it's just weird. Like it's not. It gets away with a lot. Well, yeah, I unless you think, know yeah. the background, and I guess uh, another point we should mention in the movie too, where George is constantly feeling cold in the house. There are all these. The house is one big cold spot, and he's constantly chopping wood, uh, <laughs> and for the fire and. Uh, constantly huddled around the fireplace and that he's also walking around the house a lot with this axe and that uh, Kathy starts having these nightmares that he's he's killed uh, her daughter or that he's killed the boys and that he I think is having visions himself of of this 
kind of drive building up for him to emulate Ronnie DeFeo and, and do what he did. So that's the sense you're getting anyway, that it's building up to that point where he's going to wake up one morning at 3.15 a.m. and go murder his wife and kids. Yeah, it's that's a really strong aspect of it. I mean, it's it's uh, it kind of puts into place that it doesn't matter who moves in, they're going to repeat history. It's uh, yeah. that's and the whole. That's the how house the, is going to the demon is yeah collecting souls. Yeah, and and that was a big thing. Is about that the 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 demon that was there was collecting souls yeah. and and had a bunch. That's why one of them was actually a good spirit, and and uh, Kathy was experiencing this this good older woman spirit coming through and trying to comfort her. But then it would always be this kind of like, oh no, he's coming, you know, uh, kind of feeling foreboding. Yeah. yeah, that that foreboding, and it's there. Were, I, I think the most frightening collections in this thing is probably though the debtor debt collection stuff that's yeah the the money aspect is definitely the most realistic but you know uh, one thing that i find interesting is like there's another very successful ghost story about a man being uh, affected by the place where he's living and how it's slowly tearing him apart and making him a danger to his family and that's the shining and oh. the, Sh- the Shining comes out in January of 77. And the Amityville Horror comes out in September of 77. I'm just wondering, like, is there any possibility Anson read the Shining? Yeah, like, like, did that impact? I don't know when he turned in his manuscript. But, I mean, there's so many themes that are similar. I mean, mm-hmm. clearly. Some crossover, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I love The Shining. And it's a great work of horror fiction it doesn't purport to be real but i mean it follows a lot of the same story beats of you know you know moving in and then suddenly finding yourself uh you know with the the sort of demonic oppression you know it, it's yeah. it really is you know and fleeing at the end i don't know yeah yeah so yeah they they flee and i think uh, move to california and that's the end of it i guess in in terms of the movie um, but I think now we should move to talking about the, the folklore and, well, I guess what's purported to be the true story anyway by the, the Lutzes. And I think we should talk about that now, you know, get to get straight into Well, I, into I wanted to really quick, quick, quickly mm-hmm. lead, list off the, the sequels, remakes and ripoffs. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that, um, we, that, that gives us an idea of why this is. I mean, this movie, I know it's a work of fiction. I mean, I know it's not real. But good Lord is influential from a financial perspective. I mean, so many books and movies based on this is crazy. I just said it's so popular. Yeah, it, it really is. And the thing is, is the the word Amityville is a town. You can't copyright it. Yeah. So anybody yeah, so can use Amityville use because it's become synonymous with horror. So yeah. th- that's people are able to bleed off of that all they want. And it's uh, mm-hmm. it's it's a, a, an interesting phenomenon to watch. But uh, so we've got the Amityville horror. We've got Amityville 2, the possession, which was consulted. Uh, the cons- the Warrens consulted on that one. Mm-hmm. They had a big part in that. So I don't know if you've seen it, but I have a, a bit to say about that one when we get going. Well, yeah. Uh, so is it, who are the Warrens? <laughs> oh no i mean i, I know who they are <laughs> so ed, ed and lorraine ed and lorraine warren, warren. and i guess yeah. they were demonologists psychics yeah. from I, I think they practice a whole bunch of different uh paranormal 
claims and things. And, and we'll be and talking about them further because they, they, they are the inspiration for the Conjuring series, yeah. uh, Annabelle, and lots they've, of other things. Done a lot Connecticut. Yeah. Damage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they've done a lot of damage. Exactly. Um, Their footprints roughly equivalent to Godzilla's or as far as the... Yes. <laughs> yes. Or, or a giant pig in the snow. Or a giant pig. So we've got Amityville 2, The Possession. We've got Amityville 3D. We got Amityville 4, The Evil Escapes. We've got the Amityville Curse. We got Amityville, It's About Time. Uh, we've got Amityville, A New Generation. We've got Amityville Dollhouse. I loved that one. Amityville Horror Remake in 2005 with Ryan, Ryan Reynolds. Uh, we've got the Amityville Haunting. We've got Amityville Asylum. Amityville Death House. Amityville Playhouse. Amityville No Escape, apparently. Wow. Amityville Vanishing Point, Amityville Legacy, Amityville Terror, Amityville Prison, and the prison windows have the uh, scary uh, Amityville house uh, windows with that with shape bars. with yeah. bars on them. It's beautiful. <laughs> um, uh, Amityville The Awakening, Amityville Murders, The Amityville Harvest, and I am positive I am missing several. Uh, in that list but uh oh yeah there was as many as we could come up with but in one sitting but yeah there's yeah. there's even more than that so uh yeah, it's, it's huge and that does not cover documentaries mm-hmm. just so we know because oh, got... shows like this as well i mean everyone's yeah. still talking about this decades on exactly exactly now so uh, interesting thing about let's talk about the book really quickly um george lutz says the book is true while the movie is hollywood now, some of the things, and the interesting thing is he also said he never met Jay Anson. Uh, right. He also but said that. And in that, other accounts, he says he has. So. He, he says he has. So there's a lot of discrepancy there. But uh, well, I think okay, they so there was like 45 hours worth of, of um, audio, audio tapes, tapes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. interviews, and, and that the book was written on the basis of that. Right. That's, a, by the way, that's a lot of cassette tapes. Even if you use the 90 minute ones, that's a lot of cassettes. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's rough uh, to have to listen to that. Um, now, the thing is, is is one of the things that happened in the book that didn't happen in the movies was levitation. And, and that was, I think, the last night, according to to Lutz, that was the, um, the the last night that they were there. That was one of the things that forced them out of the house was that he yeah. woke up and and saw his wife levitating. Or then yeah. I think he spoke about there was a time where the two of them levitated. Well, that was yeah. He he was on an episode of Art Bell, the Coast to Coast with Art Bell, and he one talked of the last about, ones before he retired. Right, right. Art Bell, that is not right. <laughs> uh, he was just he tired. Been... He wasn't retired. <laughs> yeah. um, so anyway, the the interesting thing is is he talks about how terrifying this levitation was when uh, Kathy did it in in the house. But then years later, when they're, or, or it might have been even, I'm not sure what the timeline is, but they're in California, and the two of them are levitating. And they found it to be a very pleasant experience of the two of them just levitating around the room. And yeah, we were joking, uh, it was like couples massage or something. Yeah. Couples like, levitating. Why is that a, a terrifying paranormal event where something bigger and stronger than you that you it's can't see them. is lifting you up and moving you around a room why is that suddenly like oh playtime I, I don't understand that but hey they've Did been you, through a lot they've been through they a have lot. i, I uh, can't it, I, I, that. don't underestimate how soothing it is to get a couple hundred thousand dollars in a check true 
So and, and it, it can really put a different light on a lot of your experiences. So. Yes, <laughs> yes. So there was levitation in the book and not in the movie. There was also old age Kathy. Uh, the there aging, was, yeah. That there was, was a yeah. short little sort of reference to it in the movie. Yeah, where, like her hands there. and lo- looked bad in her face right. bad for a second, but that that really wasn't. And you know, don't look at me. And, and that was kind of like the end of that. But supposedly so in the book, so that peculiar. lasted a lot longer. Yeah. And uh, in the there was book, like a physical expression of the oppression that they were going through. Right. You know, yeah. So, right. Yeah. so suddenly she was like 90, uh, which ironically, she never made it to. And that's, uh, that's, yeah, yeah. that's an interesting thing that, that uh, we'll, we'll have to talk about is that almost everybody involved with this book at this point, except for Ronnie DeFeo Jr. is dead. Isn't that weird? I mean, I mean, yeah, everybody dies. Off. Yeah, yeah. Right. But and but, it's been a yeah. long time. But yeah, we're really we, we've kind of but DeFeo, we're yeah, losing, we're losing witnesses. Yeah, yes. we're losing yeah. witnesses very quickly on this. So, yeah. Now, uh, the next thing is, is they I believe they said in the book that they all slept face down except for George. Every night when they would sleep, they all slept face down. But George couldn't. He had to sleep. And that was a new habit as well. Yeah. Yeah, They had never done that before. Mimicking mimicking the the, the murdered DeFeos and the position. All all the DeFeos were found face down. Right. Exactly. And they slept in the same beds. That's the really weird thing. So we've heard that the the Lutzes said that they... purchased the entire estate they purchased well they, they, the they purchased, right they purchased a bunch of the furniture i imagine that they would have had to have gotten new mattresses since those would have had bullets holes in them and you know blood yeah. all over the place they do say new mattresses yeah yeah but so. then they've also said in previous interviews that this was a year after the murders had taken place and that the place was empty there was nothing there anymore and there was no indicator or sign that anything had taken place there. Yeah, the so, book definitely uh, says that. Well, they actually, you know, now that I think about it, the book says that the furniture had been kept in storage and that they okay. bought it because they were still, still trying to settle the well, property. Yeah. So I think it's really strange because, well, there was, it was actually settling two properties, not one, but two. So both Kathy and George, uh, before they got married, they owned houses each and uh so yeah i mean this is where it all gets tricky too uh because it seems like they owned their houses and uh they that they i think each house was worth forty thousand dollars and in some accounts george says we were looking for a uh house around thirty to forty thousand dollars and then on during the art bell interview he says a place for for about sixty to seventy thousand dollars but there are discrepancies with the amount of money that they seem to have yeah in the movie they're complaining about money uh and yet in the book, I think they're complaining about money too. Yet in a lot of interviews, he's talked about how successful his business was and how much money they had and uh, with the sale of these two houses. And it just strikes me as strange. Why would you purchase the furniture from this deceased estate when you have two houseloads full of your own furniture? I just yeah, think that that's... Yeah, they definitely didn't talk about having excessive furniture. They talked about not having enough. There were rooms that were completely empty because they didn't have anything to put in them, they said. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, in another interview, I think uh, George had talked about how, uh, well, he didn't like his wife's house or furniture and and vice versa. Uh, And it it just, we keep hearing a lot of conflicting stories about how much money they had or whether they were in financial trouble um, and and just the the reason for their move and how they moved and a lot of of conflicting information. I wouldn't say that Anson's book is... uh... A documentary evidence of all the things that did or didn't happen but i would sure. say that there is a, a bunch of stuff in there about the sort of dealing with escrow accounts and other stuff and it was like when you, you later on you've got people floating and aging and black goo it's like you just kind of forget about all the financial crap at the beginning 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, but uh, yeah, there, there is, there, it sounds like a complicated story of property being underwater uh, financially <laughs> in the purchase. So I, I don't know. Yeah. It's, and talking it's, about goo as well, the Lutzes say that it wasn't blood that was leaking out of the walls. It was actually some kind of a green slime or sending more like ectoplasm yeah, than, right. than blood. Well, and even, even in the movie, it, it wasn't necessarily depicted as blood. But it was this kind of or maybe that black odd, yeah. But it just came out of the walls, and in the, in the book, I believe it, or in in George's reality, it came out of a, a couple of keyholes, just a tiny bit that they would clean up, and then it would be back and and things like that. But it, the, whatever it was, it spurred the whole thing of when you talk about a, a house being haunted, and say, oh my god, the walls were bleeding. You know, yeah. that that came from this. So that was the implication yeah. that we all got is that the walls were bleeding uh, because it kind of looked like blood coming down, just that black liquid. But, but to hear uh, George Lutz talk about his experiences, it certainly sounds a lot more mundane, the things mm-hmm. that were happening. And, and on a day-to-day basis, it really seems like they were just taking it in their stride. He talked about this slime appearing and Kathy would just clean it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, Blame and, it on the kids. So, yeah. And as you said, talking about the levitation, that it was fun at points. So... Oh, and the, uh, the kid's just... hand smashed in the uh, the window was uh, another strange thing. And then they rushed him to the hospital, and you know they said his hand was flattened by that window coming down. Yeah, and uh, and uh, spoiler alert, by the way, if you haven't seen the movie, this kid gets his hand smashed. <laughs> um, and they went to the hospital, and nothing was wrong. The hand was fine, and it's uh, you know the kid was screaming his head off uh, during the whole thing, and and George says that's one hundred percent true. That happened. So here, here, to me, here's a rough part. We, we've got all these contradictions. There's a ton of them. And like I said, with everybody passing away because of the passage of time, mm-hmm. we're, we're really getting to a point of we're never going to know for sure. We're never going to know yeah. exactly what was going on because even on the skeptical side of it, we've got conflicting stories. It's mm-hmm. just everything is conflicting. So what we have is a book and a movie that impacted so many of us growing up mm-hmm. seeing this and, and and it really was terrifying it was horrifying and here we are now you know as adults go well it's kind of cheesy but still i'm still impacted by it because mm-hmm. of, of growing up with it is that is that okay i mean what do you think is that okay that uh that we're never going to know and that we should just take it at this point is uh I think to uh, some extent that's the case fiction. for for all of these movies and for all of these claims and stories. We've talked about the the changeling and the stories, true stories behind that. And 
uh, with uh, the exorcist and the true stories behind that. I think to some extent. Oh, I think a, we wrapped a, those up. I think we put a <laughs> yeah, nice bow on every yeah. one of those. Yeah. Uh, but well, I, I think this one's worse. This one is, I think, is is so bizarre. I mean, you know, I was listening to Art Bell last night, that episode of Art Bell. How many times did we look at each other and just go, what? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it was just more and more conflicting stories. Well, yeah, it, yeah, and uh, and then to hear it told by uh, second hand. So we, we should start talking about the the Warrens, uh, mm-hmm. but oh. hearing about their <laughs> versions of the story. And so, yeah, I guess with the the Lutzes, uh, so unlike the movie, where they're there for eighteen days, the Lutzes in the the book and in their claims, they stayed there for twenty eight days. And uh, then they contacted the priest who advised them to leave. And I think that he said that uh, he'd been concerned about the sewing room and some feeling that he had in there. And he was surprised that they had stayed there that long, which I thought was a really strange comment. I mean, 28 days isn't very long. And for him to not really comment initially on what was wrong with the room other than some sense of something bad being in there, uh, that that he would have expected them to have left strikes me as strange. We need... That's what they did. I think it was his his uh, telling them that they should leave was the impetus for them moving out and moving right. into Kathy's mother's place. Well, I, I want to uh, take this moment to talk about one of the uh, um, the big pieces of evidence uh, in the investigations afterwards that the Warrens like to put forward, and that is the picture of the ghost boy. Actually, actually, can we can we let me. Let's do, this would be a good timeline thing to throw in because they, they just totally inject themselves in the storyline. And I want to talk about why. Can we do that and then talk about what they do? Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I was okay. kind of getting to that too, that where yeah. the Lutzes had left and and uh, I think it was pretty soon thereafter that the Warrens yeah. brought so, themselves so, into this. So what happens is um, after they flee, somewhere around this time, this is one of the pieces that's a little unclear to me is, the George and Kathy meet with William Weber, who's uh, Ronnie DeFeo Jr.'s lawyer. lawyer. Mm-hmm. And he later comes out and says that they came up with this idea of having a fictionalized account of this uh, ghost attack or demonic attack, and that they're going to use this as the basis for doing a legal defense of Ronnie. Uh, like right. to say the that devil he was, made me do it. Right. And I don't know when that happens exactly, but... He says he has a tape of them going through all of this discussion. He says that, you know, the things about the goo, the things about Jody the pig, like he has explanations for how all this stuff was fictionalized and planned over four bottles of wine mm-hmm. one night. And, and so only four. Yeah. Well, right. <laughs> but, but then what happens is the Lutzes go and talk to, someone uh what i've read is tam mossman at prentice hall and that they set up jay anson as a ghostwriter to sort of write this whole novel and so basically they cut out william weber from the whole process and then they end up having uh the book story come through uh prentice hall as this as this book so the story's out there and uh, but the book doesn't come out till 77. However, the story is out there. The story's in the newspapers. The story's out there. Uh, and, you know, the, the, it's it's a it's a media story, even though it's not a, you know, book that you can go buy. Sure. Uh, so in the area, New York reporter Marvin Scott at WPIX does a piece where he basically takes a film crew 
And he takes two psychic mediums uh, to come and do a, a seance and try to investigate. So basically, they're going to be there all night shooting. And I've talked to Scott. We did a piece uh, for Monster Talk called The Warren Omission, where we went and looked at a whole bunch of different uh, things about uh, how Ed and Lorraine had outright faked a lot of things and pressured other people to fictionalize their accounts. Mm-hmm. Scott brings in two psychics, and one of those psychics is Lorraine Warren. And they spend all night. And according to Scott, nothing happens. He's basically saying it's the most boring shoot ever, right? And you would think that would be the end of it. They go, they try to have this seance. Nothing comes of it. They don't get anything good on camera. He's disappointed. And it's a, it would be a no story kind of situation. Somehow, though, Ed and Lorraine Warren turn this into one of the most pivotal things in their entire career. They basically latch on to the Amityville horror case like ticks and yeah, just yeah. suck the blood out of it for the rest of their mm-hmm. lives. Yep. Yeah. Now, do you know what happened to Ed and Lorraine that night? I because know that I Lorraine do. says it's the closest thing to hell she hopes she ever encounters. Yes. Yeah, she never yeah, wants to. She, this quote. is the closest that she ever gets to hell. Yeah. And that was uh, going into the sewing room. Well, the thing is, uh, they did what no paranormal investigator should ever do, and that's they separated and had their own paranormal experiences separately, and and then regrouped and talked about them. And yeah, I mean, you just know, subjective and no evidence. Ed, Ed went downstairs into the basement, and where he felt this like waterfall of oppression and and everything else uh, happened to him down there, and it was. Uh, just this terrible experience that he went through. And then Lorraine, not knowing, even though she's psychic, not knowing what her husband was going through, uh, she went upstairs to the sewing room and had a similar experience up there. And it was very dramatic, very huge. And they were 100% positive that that place was haunted from that moment. And then we have- uh, The most haunted place they'd ever been to. Yes. I mean, it was worse than Amityville. But- uh, (laughs) (laughs) We've heard that before. Yeah, too. we. I, I've yeah, I've actually been told that several times. Oh, this place of investigators worse than Amityville, man. And I hope he doesn't realize I'm doing an impression of of him if he watches this. Anyway, uh, anyway, the the thing is, is is we should show this this photo that that they're putting right. forth. Very famous and, photo. And then I also want to mention uh, something that when I got to work with Ed, and I say that like, oh, when I got to work with Ed, that I overheard him saying to the house owners of the place we were investigating that I think is very important to to know and understand his perspective. But uh, so I'm going to share my screen here for a moment. Take a look. Okay. You guys see that? Okay. I do. Okay. So there is. So is that a, is that a lion? I can't tell. Is that a lion on the wall? (laughs) Oh my God. So. You know, and, and there's actually, that's funny because there's actually an episode of Ask a Paranormal Investigator when I actually talk about a photo of a lion on a wall. Oh, um, that's right. Yep. Yeah. That was, well, you must take a lot of no, ride no in ghost that. Uh, Yes, exactly. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not lying. Yeah. So you, you can see his, you can see his glowing eyes. So it's a yeah. little, little ghost of a boy. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's probably, I can't remember his name, unfortunately. I think we've got it written down here. It's uh, the. We'll say John. Uh, the youngest uh, DeFeo. Yes. Yeah, talking about the little boy now, I, I do want to point out something really quickly. One of the big things is that his eyes are glowing. Yeah, uh, oh, yeah I, I do want to mention. Yeah, he's demonic. I do want to mention that obviously the uh, um, the 
sort of a banister there that is also demonic, demonic because it's reflecting the flash from the camera as well. But if you look at the, the child a little closer, he is wearing glasses. Yeah, that's what I always thought. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's it's, that's no disputing. He is wearing glasses. It's so, so clear you, when you see that picture. And uh, there is a bit of footage, too, where they kind of pan in and out and, and you can see that he's wearing spectacles and yeah. uh, and the lights reflecting off no, those. Lights reflecting right off of him. Yeah, Looking it's creepy. a strange story, though, right? I mean, I mean, what, why this picture doesn't come out during that investigation? It comes out later. Mm. Like, but like, why is there this time gap? And where's the rest of the role? Like, I mean, I've got uh-huh. this amazing Good footage point. of this one yeah. shot from a roll of film. Where's the rest? Nothing of it? before, like, nothing yeah. after. I've seen right, a few yeah. of the and there's others. No one else in the house. <laughs> yeah, well, I've, they're they're they were there. They just weren't in that area, and that's that's the thing. Is during this whole thing, security was really bad. And they had the neighborhood kids snooping in to check out what was going on all the time. And they were having to to shoo everybody away constantly. That is not the ghost of the youngest DeFeo. That is a neighborhood kid that came in. And they also were trying to say that it was one of the other investigators. You know, the skeptics are saying that it's a, it's a, a another one of the investigators that, you know, was wearing glasses and, and a plaid shirt. That's a kid. You, you can look at that and see that is a, that is a little boy. There's no pareidolia there. That is a little boy. That's not an adult that mm-hmm. just happened to look like a kid in that shot. It's, you know, we've heard from enough people saying that there were neighbors coming over and just walking through the front door and checking things out um, mm-hmm. the whole Apparently time. Apparently a lot of uh, kids, neighborhood kids were friends with the, the kids mm-hmm. that had lived there as well. I mean, I just don't know, like, what proof do we have this was taken at a specific time in the house? I mean, like it may be from the house, but I mean, like, how do we know when it was taken? Like, how do we know anything? And, 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 and we don't, I mean, that's the big problem with this entire case is there's nothing definitive about anything. We have some things that a lot of people there agree on and we have to just Mm -hmm. kind of take it as fact. And uh, so we're, we're taking it as fact that that picture was taken that night with several others uh, I think they had a, like a motion sensor or something with a camera that when it detected something moving, it would take a picture. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's also that was a, a claim. Also of note, too, that the house was, they left everything in the house, apparently. Uh, they, they left the dinnerware and the, uh, the, the beds and their clothing. I think they just took pretty much the, the clothing that they were wearing at the time and uh, came back at some point to rescue an old chest that I think was owned by George Lutz's grandfather and contained family mm-hmm. photographs, but they'd left everything behind. And Ed and Lorraine Warren spoke about that too, that the house was just completely decorated. And um, so that Lutz's had spoken too about just selling off everything that priests had told them to not take anything. Everything was possessed and that they needed to sell it off and get rid of it or donate it to the Salvation Army, I guess palm up all the demonic stuff to them it yeah. seems like if the, if, the, if the debt collectors kept it wouldn't it be repossessed so <laughs> yeah so, yep uh, that's uh that's exactly correct so i don't know if it came across this or not but um i know that hans holzer also uh he went looked into the case well. yeah. and and he came with a physical medium and she was as far as i could tell was the first person to inject this idea that what was really going on was 
that this was the site of, uh, of not an Indian burial ground, but of some sort of Native American facility that had been where they, the tribe kept their uh, mentally ill people. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and they're, they're, they're sick, they're dying, and they're yeah. mentally ill. And even years later, Holzer kept saying that, yeah, there's no ghost. I mean, it's not it's not a demon. It's the spirit of a of an angry Native American chieftain who's still upset about how he was treated. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, no, no, yeah, the, the, no. The, the, the Shinnecock Indians uh, or Native Americans have been very vocal about the fact that there was nothing like that. And, yeah, and, they, and not, not only that, they were not even in. Were. Yeah. And they weren't even in that area. Yeah. Um, and, really offensive. It yeah. really is. Yeah. It's like, it's a it's a but, it's a spiritual cultural appropriation. That's just yeah. It's just it's it's a mess. So yes, it people is. grappling for um, for stories to explain the the phenomena. Taking but my assumption, there. my assumption is, and that, this is only an assumption because of, we haven't really had time to look into it. But I assume that the Poltergeist movie probably got its inspiration for built on a burial ground from this case that, that because Holzer popularized that idea uh here with yeah we've media. heard it a lot since then yeah. yeah so well it was it was that and, and they they ran with the idea because of the fact that it was a true story in denver with cheeseman park uh and that was part of the inspiration for poltergeist which we will do in a future episode of based on a true story mm-hmm. So, yeah, absolutely. But uh, it's an interesting thing because the Lutz do constantly uh, throughout all of this talk about how poor they were and how they made no money off the movie. They made no money off the books. And this whole thing with uh, Weber, uh, you know, screwing them over out of everything. And uh, but they did get the rights to the sequels. So as we can see, there have been a lot of sequels. (laughs) Right. It's been some interesting things there. But the, the funny thing is is they talk about how they got they lost four hundred thousand dollars and and this and that and they're talking about how terrible it was for them everything um, they own they left it all behind all behind and and uh on art bell last night for example when we watched uh, or listened to that uh, episode george lutz talked about how they only came out of all of they came out of this from the book and the movie together and then you know maybe some other things after all the lawyers were paid after all the debts were paid, that they only walked away with three hundred thousand yeah. dollars. I am crying a river. Yeah, yeah. and, and that was at that time, and I'm sure that it's been a lot more money and, and a lot more money since then too. Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, here they are saying that they, in, in other interviews, that they didn't make any money from this, that they were in, in serious debt because of this, and they lost, lost out. So that's but good no, for your life. They paid all their debts and they walked away with $300,000. Now that's not this, you know, 16 million that was grossed immediately from the first few days of the movie being out. Sure. Yeah. yeah. It but, seems like the author has made a lot of money too, but it's Anson certainly made a lot money of money. Yes. Yeah. 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 I heard so, multiple sources say Anson made millions off of this. Yes. 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 So um, yeah, they didn't make millions, but the thing is, is they did not walk away in debt. Well, just keep in mind that the, the like the spending value of three hundred thousand dollars in seventy seven time would only be oh. like one point three million today. So I mean, exactly, I, still a pretty penny. Bless their hearts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of which, uh, Matt, so do you again, want to talk a little Patreon. bit about the. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Matt, right. do you want to talk a little bit about uh, the father Mancuso and, and uh, the affidavit and. 
Uh, yeah, which has been interesting. Uh, let me see if I can because I even I can never I can never remember the names of the, the priests, the the fake names and the the real name. I keep getting confused with them, but you guys have kept up with that better than me. <laughs> yeah. Delaney Picararo and Mancuso. These, yes. So Delaney was the movie. In uh, the father in the movie. And right. Mancuso was in the book, and right. Picararo uh, was the the real was in real life. Right, right, and and it's interesting because his story changed a lot over the years. The main thing that he said, and this was uh, that was basically under oath, uh, is that he never went to the house. Um, he tried to, I think he talked to them once. He had never met George. Uh, he had uh, advised him at one point, but he sent them to a local, uh, I guess, a uh, minister uh, there, you know, said, you know, to, about blessing the house. And, and I don't think that they never bothered to call him. So he really didn't have anything going on. He ended up moving to San Francisco. Uh, George Lutz said that he did go blind and had to have an ocular tumor removed uh, years later, but uh, doesn't necessarily seem that's connected true. to a, a demon. Yeah. It yeah. was a demonic ocular tumor. They, they, when they pulled it out, it had little horns. Um, but uh, yeah, we don't even know if that actually happened. Again, we're very, very low on actual facts. We've got just a lot of stories. And so, I think it's interesting as well that uh, they had all these things happen to the house, like uh, stuff coming out of the walls and yeah. the door flying off. And yet at no the point branch did they coming through the and all the yeah that's another funny thing is George says that he's got a photo uh, that he had a photo of the door getting knocked off his hinges he's got uh, the bill for the sixteen windows that he had to have replaced and repaired and he lost both of them so well he left them behind at the <laughs> yeah I, I, there is a whole bunch of work that's been done on the fact that the the paranormal damage to the house just doesn't never exist happened. like it right. just never happened like and so and i think it's and, uh, telling that the people who lived there before except for the defeos who died but the people who lived there before had no problems and the people who lived there afterwards after. have had yep. no problems you know the yep. only problems they've had is wackadoodle people trying to get inside the house and take pictures and investigate stuff so but, and that's yeah, yeah why they've tried to update the house <laughs> they they got rid of those iconic windows and they painted the house as well uh, so it looks very different to the way it used to look. And they even changed the address, the number of the address. Yes. Yeah. Us, and But they're just beset by people from all around the world. I mean, apparently even people knocking on the door, at, you know, 3.15 in the morning. and uh, Asking if Ronnie DeFeo's there. Yeah, trying to break into the house, and, and just which is another thing that we come across with a lot of other supposedly haunted mm-hmm. houses where people have no respect for the privacy of, of new owners. People love, I mean, people love legend tripping and and trying Mm -hmm. to, you know, have some kind of paranormal experience. Uh, And, uh, you know, it's, I I certainly feel uh, uh, sympathetic to the people who want to go have those experiences. And part of that is the the basic, if this really happened, uh, can I go see something? You know, it's curiosity. And also, Mm -hmm. I think uh, I want to have something magical happen Maybe if I go to a place where it allegedly has already happened, it'll happen to me too, you know? And, and I mean, that... Well, yeah, Matt was talking about it'd be a good idea to turn the place into a haunted bed and breakfast. And, and yeah, that I'm sure the neighbors be... wouldn't allow it, but... Uh, Probably um, not in that yeah, residential area. Yeah, but that, I mean, that would be... You don't want to talk about a moneymaker. Oh, yeah, yeah. You mm-hmm. know, 
just turn it into a museum, turn it into uh, a tourist attraction. And uh, think about the, the taxes that uh, Amityville could make off of that. But yeah. I'm sure the and zoning a, wouldn't allow it right now. So another thing that I just remember, too, with the, the Lutzes, just in these explanations and people coming up with these different ideas for what was going on. Uh, we've, we've seen interviews with uh, Lutzes, the, the Lutzes uh, son. I can't remember which. <laughs> excuse me. I can't remember his name. It was Danny. But, uh, he's spoken. Danny. Uh, and he's spoken about what went on in the house. And he still claims that, yes, there was activity there. And he uh, blames it on George and said that he'd opened a portal to uh, evil because of his practicing of transcendental meditation. Yes, that's in the book, too, that they, the, the whole idea Kathy that... Kathy talks about that, too, in, in interviews. experiences are going to open you up to demonic uh, possession. Yeah, but and, I think uh, it's just interesting with this transcendental meditation or some kind of, uh, you know, uh, Native American uh, burial ground or a, a prison or something like that. And uh, then just some people linking what happened to the DeFeo murders. Uh, I mean, there are just so many different explanations for what took place there. Yeah, and the polygraph it. tests are, are not convincing. It's it, it, especially with what we know today, we know how easily polygraphs can be faked. Oh, yeah. um, so I, I don't buy that. But, but with, with Danny, um, you got to give the kid a break because. He was just a little kid when this went on. And, and, and you're having to look at all this craziness going on through a little kid's eyes. Mm-hmm. He's going to end up with false memories out the wazoo about oh, what absolutely. happened. I think, I think they all when, you're, when your parents, too. the people you trust, are acting so insane yeah. um, and then telling these stories over and over like they're facts. Well, on Art Bell, listening that to that uh, interview, uh, George Lutz was saying, well, I, I just can't remember everything that happened and, and I can't remember how it happened. So, uh, I mean, there's probably one of the few honest things that he's ever said about it. <laughs> so I well, did we, want to we, mention, oh, go ahead, Blake. I was just going to say, we know that um, retelling and recounting stories leads to uh, memory problems anyway. Like, like the more you retell a story and recount it, the more it becomes kind of a fictional narrative in your head. I mean, like it, it becomes yeah. a... Can I tell all the elements correctly? Whether you're really, you're not, it, memory's malleable, memory's fallible. And mm-hmm. uh, especially if you're starting from a premise where you're already fictionalizing things that may or may not have happened. I mean, like there's yeah. a skeptical tendency to say, well, in the story, part of this stuff happens in bed. Like he's having these weird things that could be sleep paralysis mm-hmm. or it could be all made up. You know, I mean, it's, 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 you, you don't necessarily need to find a, a nice, natural explanation for these phenomena because there's yeah. a pretty good chance they never happened at all right so it's interesting you should mention sleep paralysis too because again in the art bell interview george was talking about how the very last night that they spent there and from his retelling they didn't leave that night as depicted in the movie they left like four the o'clock in the after- yeah four o'clock in the afternoon or something is when they left yeah it wasn't this kind of desperate that's not exciting the house <laughs> no not as exciting but he talks about how it is if we're getting was- off work yeah, that time it could be great. He he talked about how he was unable to move out of his bed. He was just uh, stuck in bed and and just frozen in there and could not move. So that's sounding a lot like sleep paralysis. Yeah, or drugs. I wanted to move into talking about drugs and talking about the DeFeos and the the story. I think we should kind of close finishing talking about that a little bit. But I don't know. What I, I think this is a good idea say. because this is a very male focus, and we should talk about the heroine of the story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well just before so we go there say? 
Yeah, before we go there, I, I do want to talk about something that I overheard Ed Warren saying oh, hmm. to a homeowner that they were going to make a big story out of what they went through um, that I don't think I was supposed to hear, but it shines a lot of light on this case as well and the way George in particular behaves. Mm-hmm. And that is, Ed said that with all of this, you need to create your story and stick to it. Now, of course, you know, you can't be blamed if a few things change along the lines, but what you need to do is whatever the skeptics say, disagree with them vehemently and then never change, never change. Oh, stick to your lie. You got to stick to that lie and don't let go of it because when you do that, you're going to get enough people that are going to say, see, he's not, he's not going back on it. You know, he's, he's Mm -hmm. sticking to, you know, sticking to the craziness is what it is yeah. so if little things so, change along the way it's fine as long as it's still crazy you, gotta so stick you to that weren't craziness. supposed to hear that no no and and because i i'm trying to think of what he gave a couple of examples um about it it's like and and make sure that you disagree with a few things that are crazy you know it's like oh well it was said in the give movie it, that that plausibility. it never happened that way this is how it really happened but you stick it wasn't to that lie Right, exactly. You stick to that lie, and that's the way you get enough people to believe you. Like Art Bell was like, oh, I never doubted, you know, I never doubted this story. Uh, You get enough people to stick with that, you're going to create enough of a tidal wave, and that will bring you money. And that was, you know, Ed's sage advice. And, and, And when you watch, Ed sticks to that story. He sticks to that, that way of, of operating. And George, George does too. And, and me overhearing that, you know, tells me a lot about what I think actually happened with this story. And I'm pretty sure it was uh, sitting down with William Weber trying to come up with a good defense for Ronald DeFeo. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I do think that's how it happened. I mean, the bottom line is, is we will never know. And that's OK, too. But uh, but speaking of, of Ronald DeFeo, one of, one of the other theories that I know um, we wanted to talk about is that he's not the one who he's someone else worked with him that yeah, he didn't and we, make commit all the murders we watched an ex- excellent uh, documentary it was called shattered hopes so outside the front of the house there was a little uh, sign saying high hopes and uh that was i think something that the father had put that out there uh, well, that was the to, original name of the house name uh, of the house yeah, yeah. oh okay i thought he'd, he'd put that out there as a when they'd moved there uh just to talk about you know how how he wanted the family to have a positive future and all of that and so there's some interesting stuff that I think went place with uh, with him because I think they were a Catholic family and it appears that they had connections to the, the mob as well. And so even though they ran this uh, was a, a car, car dealership, dealership, yeah, that they were actually in, involved with the mob. And so it seemed like they had was, a lot of it was money. A bit, yeah, it was a bit of a front for some organized crime is what uh, the, the story is. <clears throat> yeah. And uh, I think that uh, he he complained. So this is the, the father had complained about some activity in the house or some negativity in the house and that he'd positioned Catholic statues around the yard and in the house and that he'd had uh, priests come to bless the house too. And that he'd even had, I think, a remote blessing of the house from the Archbishop of Canterbury which is strange, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it seems like they were quite a superstitious family to begin with as well, but it seems like they, with all the money that they had, there was alcoholism, there was drug addiction too. Uh, I think Ronnie DeFeo Jr., what known as Butch, uh, he was a heroin addict. Mm-hmm. That's what I heard. Must have been, I mean, yeah, 
That was pretty it, difficult it, it to be weaned off that in prison. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I think uh, so. The the daughter, um, the eldest daughter, Dawn. She was, I think, she she was a pothead, and I think she was taking. Hey, 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 hey! Let's don't start throwing drugs. stones. <laughs> <laughs> nothing. Not that there's anything wrong with it. No, no, no. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it seems like there was a lot of uh, a lot of abuse and discord in in the family. Uh, a lot of it was a they were very troubled family mm, i like that with, word with everything that was yeah. going on <laughs> yeah. although you know the um in some of the documentaries that i watched they interviewed uh people who had grown up around the house and, like been friends mm-hmm. with the defeos and th- you know you never know when you're a kid growing up with other kids like unless you see overt you know symptoms of child abuse or violence or whatever you don't really know but a lot of the you know people seem to say that things seem fine at the DeFeo house. You know, clearly something was wrong, at least with Ronald Jr. Uh, I mean, he clearly something wasn't right there. But otherwise, I mean, it's really hard to say, you know, for sure what was going on. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it didn't sound like, you know, and again, if if there were numerous complaints and police cases, that might be something we could like find in the in the records, mm-hmm. like the public records uh, about that. But uh, um it, I, I, I think that if, if there had not been any ghost story, we'd probably still be hearing about the DeFeo case from a true crime story because it's a brutal Abs- and shocking oh, yeah, so many, crime. Yeah. So many layers to this yeah. too. Yeah. And in the, the documentary Shattered Hopes, um, we hear about a, an extra person who's little talked about, uh, but apparently Ronnie DeFeo had a, a wife and a child a as well. A wife? I didn't even yes, know that. So no. Oh, he, wow. I think her name was uh, Geraldine. Geraldine. She died in 2015. And uh, so he often wasn't even living in the house. He was living with her and his uh, daughter. And I think she had children from another relationship too. And uh, so he was kind of living between the two houses. And the father kept dragging him back into the house and forcing him to stay there. Um, so it, it's just... You know, we we the more we dig into this story, the more we're finding loose ends and and just yeah. more information, and it's just so conflicting and confusing. And I, mean, and, I think uh, one, as, the supernatural side of it, it just cloudies, cloudies, clouds the waters, like it muddies the waters, and I, I think it yeah. makes it harder to like kind of get to the root. And I don't know if it matters, but I mean, it it does like you know was his other oh, hi. Ah, ghost child <laughs> what do you what do you guys mean <laughs> no glowing eyes though no spectacles anyway it, it's a it's a it's it's a sad tragic story even without the supernatural elements you know and so um, it really and, is and uh, you know we often talk about with the episode that we did uh, with your friend stacy talking about serial killers and how yes. you know, we don't don't talk about the victims we end up talking about ted bundy and all of the the criminals and uh you know it it is just a really sad story that this family was murdered there and uh you know that's often just lost asunder the rest of this folklore and and uh all the the make-believe that's piled on top of it so remember we did an episode with james randy where we talked about his time doing radio the radio show right so after after long john nebel uh Chain stations randy did radio for a while and he continued to be involved in radio for a while and at one point uh during this amityville stuff according to randy he had the opportunity to do a radio special where he was going to go on site uh to the amityville house and he's going to record with a medium 
uh, that person's, okay. and he's, you know, he's going to be the skeptic and the medium's going to be the medium. It's a very, you know, <laughs> Scully Mulder kind of situation. And they, they go, uh, they take a taxi and they go and they're going to record and they get out and the medium just immediately drops to the ground. <laughs> oh my God. He's like oppressed. He's like having trouble breathing. It's like the, you know, the psychic uh, emanations from the property are like absolutely devastating. And Brandy's, you know, okay, I'm skeptical. Well, the, the media is making such a big to do while they're and they're recording all this. And the media is making this big to do about the whole thing. And a policeman is there and walks up. And is like, hey, 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 what's going on? And Randy has to explain, like, we're doing a radio show about the, you know, the DeFeo murders and the Amityville case. And he's like, oh, well, that's like two blocks down. For- <laughs> wow. You're in, the, you're in the wrong place. And the medium has to recompose, right? So, yeah, it's a good story. And Take I like something took, look, something yeah. took place there as well. Yeah, right. So... It's rough Maybe it's a contagious thing from the, the house. Well, that's, it, that's a great story. It is. And I'd heard Randy tell the story multiple times with a few variations, but basically the same story. And when I had a chance to talk to him at, at one of the TAMs, I said, you know, I've heard you tell this story. And like, I've heard it, like a few details are different here and there. It's like, but is this a story that's like literally true? Or is this a story that's like figuratively true? Like a story you're right. demonstrating that he's like, no, no, no. This really happened. If I'm missing the details up, it, I, you know, that's my memory, but it absolutely really happened. Yeah. So that's yeah. like, that's, that's brutal. Was like, that's <laughs> fantastic. And I think it's interesting too, that they did change the the address. So I, yeah. I don't know if we want to talk about the, the specific address here and the number that they've changed it to, but I wonder if it had anything to do it's with that. Pretty well known. It's not like we're doxing them. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, yeah everybody everybody kind of knows. 412. And it was originally, it, to, it was 112 Ocean Avenue. 112, sorry. And then, yeah, and then now it's what, 666 Demon Portal Street? Is that right? <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's correct. Um, now, that's to, get back to, to get back to the DeFeos, one of the versions that's out there of this story is that Dawn had uh, the, the daughter um, uh, of the DeFeos had actually tried to kill the father before pulled a knife on him Mm. and there was a lot of hatred there as well and i believe she was i think she'd even initially suggested it to to ronnie and said you know we should kill them i think yeah yeah there was a lot of fed up with the the Mm -hmm. dysfunctional nature of the family and the fact that the father was always violent and always so i think they they initially wanted to to kill him because he was beating up their mother so how it got to that extent i just don't know we will never know well we can i mean it's, i think it's fair to say that whatever was happening when when ron jr did the killings he wasn't he it wasn't like anger at one person he wiped out everybody i mean it's, yeah. it's, i don't know what else going on and then this story is a little different but uh basically what was told in this version is that you know dawn uh was very angry with the the, the father as well and uh, Ronnie had come over, and Don actually had uh, the rifle. I believe uh, Ronnie had a handgun, and they, they, you know, she was really taunting him. Why don't you do it? What are you not man enough? And, you know, there was a, there was an argument between them about it, and he was starting to lose his high a bit, so he was going to go get more heroin. 
And so he went out to get more heroin. And when he came back, she had killed everybody. And he and was going to kill him, too. He ended up getting the gun from her and shot her and then put all the bodies back in bed. It became this big thing of, you know, I mean, it was there, there's a big story on why he kind of took the fall for the whole thing. Uh, and it was it. I, I'm well, not it seems like a lot of confusion really sure to the was. lawyer that he was trying. He was manipulating uh, things. So who knows if he was going to go with the devil, maybe do it story or if he was going to go with the you know, protecting his sister story. Right. So and, and, and then there was the whole thing with the, the Suffolk, Suffolk County um, Sheriff's Department that they were known supposedly. Now, this is all just hearsay. Uh, they were known for basically torturing confessions out of people. And they just uh, yeah, wanted a quick case, wanted to sew it up, get it over and done with. But apparently, uh, uh, Ron DeFeo's wife, ex-wife Geraldine, she was trying to to uh, to put forward his innocence and to explain what had happened. So uh, we, we don't know the full story with her, but apparently she was uh, beaten up by the the Suffolk County Police too. So it seems like they were yeah they're, very they're, corrupt. Yeah, it's so it's it's interesting, you know, to hear this other story because you do hear that they all died in their bed. They didn't hear the other gunshots. Nobody was repositioned. And you also hear, no, absolutely. Uh, Ron DeFeo had actually made it to the uh, the doorway of his bedroom uh, before he was shot a second time and then had to be dra- drugged back to the bed, uh, dragged back and, and put in. Uh, and then stories that they were drugged as well. Yeah, that they were drugged as well. And then other stories that the toxicology showed no drugs. Uh, I'd love to see the toxicology reports to find out who's telling the truth there. But with now there being this added layer of there being corruption within the law enforcement and they wanted an open and shut case and they deny any new evidence uh, because the um, maker of the, the, the three documentaries of Shattered Hopes, uh, they actually drug the river out behind the house and they did find um, a, a handgun uh, out there that was, you know, that's basically huge. yeah yeah they found but the law enforcement did not want to have anything to do with it uh, huh. so it's it's hard to say who's telling the truth well yeah, we're just never going to know but it's yeah. an amazing piece of uh fiction. well i would i would say ronnie knows more than than we know and uh, that there's just more to the story that we may never know and who knows what his false memories are at this point and I think true, at this point true. in my life, I mean, there's so much interest in true crime, but I've always been more interested in fake paranormal. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And again, this story is yeah. just so multi-layered. It's, it's yeah. just really confusing to try and tease everything apart. So, so do we have any kind of final thoughts? I mean, where, where, where does everybody sit with this story at this point in terms of uh, how do you feel about it? I mean, are, are you disturbed by the fact that it's so hard to come to a conclusion or are you okay that, it, you know, this is, Let's just chalk this up to um, maybe it happened, maybe it didn't, but it, it sure did have a, a unique effect on on my development. Oh yeah, I, <laughs> I think I think there was enough that truly happened with the DeFeo murders that that that's interesting enough, and everything else is is just unnecessary fiction. and just fiction yeah. and uh, just in many ways very silly and and uh, lots of holes in the story too and. Uh, um, yeah, I just think that the true story is sad enough. Well, the, the judge, uh, when there was the lawsuit against the Lutzes and Weber, the judge said, and I'll, I'll quote him here. He says, uh, Judge Jack B. Weinstein says, it appears to me that a lar- to a large extent, the book is a work of fiction. And George did not dispute that. 
Yeah, I think one, one, of the, one of the fascinating things to me about this case is that even among paranormal enthusiasts and investigators, there's a chunk of people who I would normally expect to try to cling on to this as being a good case who just say, no, 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 this one's fake. It's a hoax, you know, but there are people who really believe in this case. And despite the, again, the muddy waters around the fact that there's been so many fictionalized reports and so many inconsistencies, there are people who still want to, you know, fight on this hill. This is the hill they're going to die on. This is a great case. I personally think it's far too, uh, there's too much evidence that there's elements that are faked. Um, You know, I I think it's disrespectful to the seriousness of the crime that took place at the heart of it. Um, And, uh, you know, there's going to people, I'm sure people will continue to milk it for cash for years to come. But absolutely, I don't I don't think there's much here yet. It has been absolutely uh, critical to turning uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren into the sort of uh, uh, fixtures on paranormal TV that they were through the rest of their lives. Yeah. So, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. All right. So what uh, what should we do next? Uh, do we want to go with a, an alien abduction movie just to break things up or? Yeah, I think hmm. that might be good. We've talked about a few kind of polter, poltergeist ghost cases. So maybe that'd be a good change of direction. Yeah, I know poltergeist has got to come soon. What um, do you think about fire in the sky? I was thinking fire in the sky or communion. Ooh, uh, I would love to do communion. That's a do communion story. Next? Yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. Are you, are you feel that. good with that? Okay, okay. Either Everybody one of those tuned. is fine, but yeah, those are those are really interesting. So well, we'll hit on communion okay. next. All right, and uh, I think that'll yeah. be fun. Yeah, and I think we should remind everyone too that uh, while they're on YouTube, check out some of our other playlists and other videos. We've got uh, old episodes of Monster Talk Live, and also Matt's series, Ask a Paranormal Investigator. Where you've got up to about what twenty-eight videos now, or um, something. Th- just finished thirty. Oh, so, I'm always nice. too behind. Yep. So, and and there there are twenty of the Monster Talk Live, and uh, there are uh, several three other episodes of the Based on a True Story. If you haven't seen those yet, so excellent. Yeah, and lots more to come. And once again, uh, we we'd love you guys that uh, uh, want to be our patrons, and uh, you can always buy us a cup of coffee as well to keep this uh, engine primed coffee good thanks for joining us <laughs> see you next that time. was fun guys thanks, thanks a lot bye-bye monster talk you've been listening to monster talk the science show about monsters i'm blake smith and i'm karen stolzner you just heard an episode from our youtube series debased on a true story with a look at the Amityville Horror franchise. We hope you enjoyed it, and we'll be back with some more of our traditional format interviews very soon. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Monster Talk. Each episode, we strive to bring you the very best in monster-related content with a focus on bringing scientific skepticism into the conversation. If you enjoy Monster Talk, we now have a variety of ways to support the show, all with convenient links at monstertalk.org forward slash support that's monstertalk.org forward slash support we have links there to our patreon page as well as a donation button another great way to support the show is to buy books from our amazon monster talk wish list which directly helps us with our research we love used books very much so don't feel compelled to buy new ones and we love kindles so we can share our digital libraries with each other and finally without spending any money at all 
you can support us by leaving a positive review at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Positive reviews help keep us visible in iTunes, which is a great way to help us find new listeners. And please share our show on your favorite social media platforms. Monster Talk theme music is by Pete Stealing Monkeys. As always, thanks for listening and thanks for being part of the Monster Talk family. been a monster house presentation when you visit arizona time is measured in moments not minutes like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate but nothing beats the moment you see the grand canyon for the very first time visit a new state of mind Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.